Well, if you guys don't know, my name is John Duby. Thank you for for coming to this breakout session uh, in this beautiful amphitheater. It is a unique place to to talk about the Lord, and so I'm thankful that you guys are here. Um, I want to. Most of you know, but I'm from Rosedale Bible Church. There are a couple that are not from from our church, but um, I've been a associate pastor, youth pastor at Rosedale Bible Church for three years. And so before that, I was in Phoenix. I'm actually from Phoenix, Arizona, and I I was a I wasn't a youth pastor before. I was more of just an associate pastor, and I taught uh, in a. Uh, semin- uh, church-based seminary, and so I taught Hebrew and theology and other things, uh, pastoral ministry stuff in a church-based seminary uh, before taking the job as an associate pastor at Rosedale Bible Church and working with the youth, uh, but it's been a, a great privilege. So uh, anyway, that's who I am. Uh, the the This format is going to be a little different this morning, so my, in, in, you know, the fact that this is a breakout session, I wanted to approach it a little differently. And so I do have some notes. I have introduction. We're going to look at some biblical texts. We're going to look at First John. But I, I thought maybe we could do something a little bit more interactive instead of me just kind of lecturing, preaching, which is fine. We, but you guys get a lot of that while we're up here. And so I wanted to, so I'm hoping that as we go through this and we talk through some of these principles and ideas that I'm, I'm encouraged, I want to be, I want to encourage you to engage as much as possible. So I'm going to ask some open questions. You don't necessarily feel like you have to raise your hand, but if you want to raise your hand, that's, if you feel more comfortable doing that, that's fine. But I do want you guys to interact with me a little bit. So I'm, I'm hoping that maybe we could think together about what the Bible says, uh, this morning. So if you guys are, are game, uh, then, then we can do that. So let me, uh, let's start with prayer because I need the Lord's help. Uh, and so we all do. So let's uh, bow our heads and ask for God's help. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to be uh, together. Lord, we thank you f- that you have given us your revelation and that you have given us truth and uh, you've given us a, a book, a Bible that has so much truth and teaches us everything we, we need to know uh, to live for you, Lord. And so I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we discuss a portion of your word, continue to grow our faith, Lord, as we're here at camp and uh, use this time particularly, Lord, to uh, challenge us as it relates to maybe uncertainty in our life or uh, any doubt that we might have about our faith, Lord. I pray that this would be helpful to combat the, those doubts, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for just this opportunity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, have you guys... Uh, so, the, the title of this kind of breakout session is Christian Certainties for Those with a Faith Under Threat. And so, um, I just ask you guys a question. Um, has your faith ever come under threat? Has your faith ever ever come under threat? Uh, what do you mean by threat? Okay, like under attack. Like, like somebody like like a bully or like emotional. Threat? No, like like more like. Uh, have you ever had doubts? Yeah. Right. That's that's what I mean. You know, when your faith comes under threat, it's like you have you have doubts that come in or maybe uncertainties about your faith. Um, is that something that you guys have experienced? Right. I, I think I think uh, we've we've all exper- experienced doubts. Uh, we've all experienced uh, challenges to our faith. Our faith comes under threat. That's what I mean by that. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it's related to what we believe. 
you know, uh, as you as you learn about faith and as you come to know the Lord, uh, you know, you're you're learning new things. And so you're wondering, is that true? Is it right to believe in the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ? You know, what do I believe about the Trinity? Uh, what about the Christian life? What does it mean to be in the flesh? What does the battle against sin look like? How do I defend God's word? What is the church here for? What about communion? You know, eat the flesh, drink the blood. What? You know, maybe you're wondering about that, and so maybe you have doubts about what's right and what's wrong, and maybe you've heard other things. And so I think, you know, uh, uncertainty, doubting, you know, is just a natural kind of uh, thing that happens in our faith. And as we grow in our faith, uh, you know, those things get firmed up and strengthened. Uh, but as you, as you know, in your life of faith, you're always, you know, going to have things that come in and threaten your faith. And so, um, it is true that your faith will be strengthened as you as you progress in your faith, but uh, there might be times, particularly early in your faith, which I assume most of you are, where as you're trying to make sense of the world, maybe there are maybe there's more opportunities for your faith to come under threat, and so that's kind of where where I'm at as we begin our uh, topic this morning. <clears throat> Have you experienced tribulation? Have you uh, experienced persecution? Have you experienced uh, the the normal trouble that comes in life? I, I'm sure you probably have. Well, those are those are certainly opportunities where our faith will come under threat. Um, you know, uh, maybe you look out into the world and you see your friends or you see people that seem to uh, prosper. They do well in the world, and they don't know Jesus. And sometimes it's easy to, to look at people that, that prosper, and they don't have a faith, and sometimes maybe you question, what is this about? You know, what does my faith mean if the people around me that don't love Jesus are, are benefiting? Or maybe they seem happier. Maybe they don't seem to struggle as much as you do. And so maybe that causes you to uh, doubt your faith or wonder what it means to be uh, a Christian. Sometimes the, the pleasures of the world can overshadow our faith. Uh, you know, you think about going to church on a Sunday morning. You know, is that the funnest thing to do in the world? Sometimes no, right? I mean, we, we enjoy church. We enjoy our friends. But, you know, or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night activity, a youth group, you know, maybe we have some activities with church, you know, and, and our friends don't have to do that. And, and so sometimes I think maybe, maybe there's an opportunity to, to, to go, man, why, why do we always have to do this, mom? Why do we always have to do this, dad? We're always going to church. We're always going, you know, doing this. Why do I have to be at camp? Uh, and it seems like maybe it's harder for us uh, as Christians. It, it might be easier if we didn't have those obligations. Obligations. Um, sometimes when these doubts come in, we actually we actually can doubt the character of God. And so when we begin to doubt our faith, or we we doubt uh, you know what it means to live for the Lord, maybe we question God's character. Um, you know, is God really good? The Bible says that God is good, but I don't, I don't feel, you know, I'm not happy or I'm struggling uh, in some ways with my emotions. And it makes us welcome, by the way, uh, it makes us question uh, our faith. And so 
can, can you guys relate to some of this? Do you, do you know, you know, you, 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 you do have doubts at times and, and you do struggle in your faith, uh, at times. Now, uh, I've, I've introduced, you know, some of this, some of these things. Is there, is there any idea, any other ideas that you have is, you know, where do these threats come from in your life? I've kind of given you some ideas, but is there anything that you can think of that maybe causes you to doubt your faith that you've experienced, whether it's a situation that you've been in or some, I don't know, idea that's out there that's, that's caused you maybe to question something. Struggle with mental health. Okay. Struggle with mental health. Uh, can, can anybody else relate to that? Uh, and that, that could be sadness, confusion, you know, ups and downs of life. Uh, I think lots of people can, can relate to that. Uh, is, is there anything else maybe anybody can think of? Culture. Culture. Okay. Can you be a little bit more specific? Um, <clears throat> I'm half Mexican, half Native American. Mm. And I was raised mostly by my Native American side mm. of my family. And so there's a lot of history behind the Native American culture. For sure. And um, they doubt a lot about, uh, as Natives, yeah. doubt um, Christianity and where it comes from, the history yeah. of it. Do they see it, uh, I think this is okay to say, do they see it as like the white man? <laughs> kind of like, you know, a, a Western idea? Coming in and and deceiving or tricking, maybe uh, is there some of that that's that's out there? Or? Um, they view it more as a white man's god. Hmm. <clears throat> they use religion as an excuse or to justify. Um, some of the difficulty yeah. and the pain that and the trauma that they've gone through. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Noelle, did you have something? Yeah, uh, I've had a lot of like health and, and injury problems in my life, and like, and also like family issues, like things going wrong or not how we would have planned it, and like sometimes doubting like if that's God's plan or like why he would do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe physical, uh, things that happen to us, but then also situations in our life that, that, uh, cause us to, to question, uh, you know, you guys have some notes in your booklet, but, uh, I actually have a little handout. I don't know if you're interested. Uh, you want to just take one and pass it around. Uh, this is our outline as we get into it. You can just take one and hand it out. <clears throat> I forgot to hand those out at the beginning. <clears throat> and then whoever ends up with that stack, if they could just hold on to that, maybe put a b- water bottle or something on that. Uh, yeah, so so th- this is good. So so the threats to our faith come, you know, kind of internally and externally. And so when you think about, you know, a threat that comes to our faith, you know, what I what I mean by internally is that uh something that Chris mentioned, you know, in our chapel session, uh that we you know, we have a sin nature. Uh you know, we're we're still in the flesh. The Bible talks about being in the flesh. And so although we we we've been changed inside, 
unfortunately, we still carry this old man with us. We're still in the flesh. And so there are the, nat- there, there are the natural kind of passions and, uh, you know, lusts that are inside of us, that are in our sin nature, that war against us and, and cause us sometimes to doubt. Uh, those are inside of us. And so they're internal threats to our faith. Uh, the Apostle Paul is very direct and he exhorts us against those threats, those internal fleshly threats. And he writes, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so uh, the, the command of the New Testament is for us to put to death those fleshly desires. So it's inside of us and, and the things that, that we desire, the, the passions of our heart to, you know, I don't know, prideful ideas that we want to be, you know, the best at something and be better than everyone else, you know, kind of a, a sinful desire uh, or uh, uh, you know, sexual lusts that we have, those kind of things, uh, the desires maybe to, to, to deceive or to trick people, all those things that kind of come from inside of us, we're to put those things to death. Uh, so we're to, we're to kill those things. Um, those are internal threats that might cause us to doubt, but there are external threats and the external threats are the things that we've been talking about, suffering, persecution, trouble, lies, false teaching. These are oftentimes situational. Uh, and so maybe a family member dies. Maybe your, maybe your grandpa dies uh, or a parent dies. Uh, maybe you get sick. Maybe, maybe uh, a parent gets cancer. Maybe you have to move and you have to uproot your whole life and go somewhere else. You know, those are all kind of external situational things that, 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 uh, can challenge our faith. And so a, a number of those things we've kind of already, uh, addressed or, uh, talked about in, in this introduction. Uh, maybe you're changing of school maybe there's a, you know, going into high school, all of those things can, can challenge us, uh, in our faith. And so, uh, uh you know, that's all true, but thankfully scripture hasn't left us without an answer. And so scripture does talk about this. And so there's a place in the Bible that I'd like to kind of direct us. And that's in first John. And I, and I think first John will help us to address some of these issues, uh, particularly because the, the, the audience that John is writing to, I believe they, they're a, they're a person, they're, they're a, a people, a church that had a faith that was under threat. And so I think the reason why Paul, or John is writing, excuse me, is because there are people that had doubts. And so he's writing to strengthen their faith, you might say. Yes, Abraham? Um, I forgot my Bible. Do you want me to go and get mine? It's okay. Just just listen well. And maybe you could look on uh, Noah's got his. So maybe you could look on uh, next to him. So uh, John writes his first letter to people who have a faith that is under threat. Now, it is hard to determine what exactly this threat is. Uh, John isn't really explicit about the threat. And so people have debated what is this threat that he is experiencing or what, what is he responding to? And, and you remember, I, I, I mentioned that one of those one of those places that those threats come from is from lies or false teaching. And so if, if false teachers come into our church or, or, or we listen to false teachers, they spread lies and that might cause us to doubt our faith. We might doubt, you know, who God is, God's sovereignty. We might doubt that we can have assurance of our faith. 
There's all kinds of things we might doubt. And so, so one of those places is false teachers. And I think that might be uh, maybe the primary thing that John is addressing in his letter. And so, again, it's hard to, to put our finger on the nature of the threat, but he, John is writing to win his readers in the face of a threat. And so in 1 John chapter 2, he talks about Antichrist. Uh, in 2, chapter 18, or chapter 2, verse 8, Children, it is the last hour, just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. And so he speaks of these and uh, antichrists that are kind of infiltrating the church. Have you guys heard of the antichrist? Maybe you have. You've heard it, right? You know. Notice I'm saying the antichrist. There, there is this you know definitive article one antichrist that we we think of that's coming in the future. But John talks about antichrist. You know, more than one antichrist. And uh, you know, what is an antichrist? Well, he says in verse 22 of that same chapter, "Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son." And so there's a sense in which these these false prophets, these liars that were in the church spreading uh, confusion and causing people to doubt their faith, you know, they could be wrapped up in this idea of an antichrist. Uh, they're, they're against Christ. They're denying who Jesus is. Again, he's vague. He's not specific about what exactly is being said, but certainly there is a threat. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so again, you have this idea of false prophets, antichrists that are invading the church and causing doubts. So that's that's the context of this letter. You have a people with a faith under attack. They're under attack from liars, false teachers. They're being duped into believing the wrong things about God. <clears throat> we mentioned it in the in the chapel. Uh, it came out actually in uh, Spencer's lesson, and I think in Chris's as well. Uh, this kind of early church heresy, where people uh, heresy is just something that's against the truth, and so it's it's not orthodox, it's not right, it's false. Uh, that's what a heresy is, and so uh, this this false teaching that matter or physical things are are bad and spiritual things are good. Kind of this, I think somebody said it, called it a dualism. The fancy word for this is Gnosticism. Maybe have you heard that before? Gnosis is the word knowledge in Greek. And so the, the Gnostics, they taught that there was this kind of special knowledge you had, had to have. Uh, and they were deceiving people in the early church. And one of the primary teachings that they taught was what Chris and, and Spencer said, this dualism where matter or physical is bad and spirit is good. Now, when you think about who Jesus was... Uh, what might those false teachers have taught about Jesus? What, what do you think was a, if I believe that matter was bad and the spirit was good, how would I talk about who Jesus was? You would say he was a sinner. I would say what? He was a sinner. He was a sinner. Okay. Uh, that he was like the rest of us. What would I say about his humanity? That he's not complete. That he's not complete? Not complete what? Not completely human. Because um, yeah, if, if, if he's God, how could God be in, a ma- in the form of a man? 
You see that, Ireland? So, so, the, so the, 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 the heresy or the wrong teaching is to say that Jesus is not a, a 100% man. He can't relate to us. Because if he's God, how could, if matter and what's physical is, is evil and bad, how could God become in the form of a man? So they denied that aspect of, the, of, of Christ. Of course, they might, they might have hold up, held up that, he is, that, he's a, that he's God, but without his humanity, we don't have the full picture of who Jesus is. We don't have a, a substitute that can relate to us. We don't have an offering for sin if he's, if he's not also uh, like us as a human. And so they would deny that aspect. And so that, that lie kind of permeated in the early church. And I, I think, I'm not 100% because John isn't totally explicit about it, but I, th- I think that's probably something he is responding to. And so, although this, this uh, threat to, to the faith isn't exactly what we ex- experience, John is writing to people who, who are questioning their faith or they have doubts. They're struggling. And so, so he wants to, to respond to that by giving them certainty about what they believe. And so I think you're going to see that as I read our passage this morning that, I, that I'd like to kind of unpack with you guys. And it's, it's in 1 John chapter 5, and it starts at verse 13. And as we read it, or if you just are listening, just think about the word know, that you might know, okay? Uh, I think you'll, you'll notice right away that there's a lot of confidence kind of bound up in these verses. Again, 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which he have asked from him, which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. Verse 18. We know that no one who has been born of God sins, but he who was begotten of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Did you notice how many times he said no, that you'll know and you have confidence? Uh, and so, I, I, again, I think uh, what John is giving us here, giving his, re- his, his readers, is this, these certainties for this faith that comes under threat. And so let's look at the first thing that God has uh, granted here. I, I have them kind of written that way. God has granted you, maybe you have blanks there in front of you. Uh, verse 13, God has granted you eternal life. And so this is the first Christian certainty that we can grip onto is that God has granted you eternal life. Verse 13 there, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is somewhat of a mystery to us. Uh, 
you know, the, the world is, is right in front of us. Uh, but I think sometimes we, we wonder, um, what is eternal life? What will it be like? Uh, do you guys ever wonder that? Uh, how do you imagine, what do you imagine eternal life will be like? How do you see it in your mind? Joyful. What's that? Joyful. Joyful. Amen, brother. Joyful. Abraham? Never ending. Never ending. Eternal, right? It's never ending. Will it be like this life in some ways? In what ways will it be like this life? Isaac? There's still, like, work. There's still, um, Hmm. like, Like, can I help you? Like, maybe like stuff to do, right? Like, it's not just going to be like clouds and pillows and just kind of this like kind of place. I don't know what that what that is. I don't know how to articulate that. Some kind of nirvana or something. Uh, But it'll be tangible, right? It'll be it'll be uh, you know. In some ways, it'll be. Some ways, it'll kind of be like this, maybe. A little bit. There'll be certain aspects that are that are similar. You know, you think about. Uh, we've been talking about the resurrection. I mean, Jesus was was raised from from the dead, and so he had this body, this resurrected body. But they could see him, right? So in some ways, he was like them. He was like he he had you know a similar kind of body, but but he also did things that were different. Do you recall? Did he do anything that was different? Okay, right? He like went through a wall or disappeared. Marcos made bread. Made bread. Okay, like like, but he ate, right? So some ways he was similar. Uh, Ireland. He performed miracles. He performed miracles. Yeah. So so you know, eternal life is is full of joy. But there there's a sense in which it is. Uh, there are some similarities even to this world. Uh, of obviously we can't say everything because we don't know. There's a mystery uh, to eternal life. If, if, if John is writing to a people who have a faith under threat, how, how would this be an encouragement to them? How would this help them? Isaac? Like Mr. Um, Chris was saying last night, it's motivation, knowing that the reward is in heaven and that um, you keep going for now. Like, this is an example of the Ferrari in the garage. Yeah. Keep going, but you know it's coming. And you have um, a motivation to work. Yeah. What did you guys think of that illustration with the Ferrari in the garage? Did you think that was a good illustration? Yeah, I thought that was a really good illustration. Uh, Yeah. But we still struggle, don't we? Mm -hmm. You know? and, and what's, what's interesting about that is, is what is a Ferrari? I mean, it's nothing, you know, compared to what we have. I mean, we have been given, granted eternal life. And how often do we forget about it? And we don't think about, uh, you know, what it means to live uh, in light of that reality. Now, who has, who, who is, who exactly has eternal life in this passage? What does it say? Who has been granted eternal life? Jesus? No. Well, yes, but in the verse, who, who is the, who are the ones that have eternal life? Those who believe in the name of God. Right. Those who have believed. Right. Depending on the way your translation says, right. Those who are believing. 
It's those who believe that have eternal life. Uh, we know, you know, think about John 3.16, right? What does John 3.16 say? Only begotten Son. Right, that whoever believes in him will, will not perish but have eternal life. And so it's the same kind of idea there that those who believe are granted eternal life. They have eternal life. Now, what is this, you know, what is this uh, promise grounded in? Well, if you, if you look at the very first verses of 1 John, uh, I think it's fascinating what John says, just looking at the very first verses of 1 John here. Uh, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we behold and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. I, I never get over the fact that these men saw Jesus. They walked with Jesus. It was real to them. They touched him. And, and, the, and the way that John, John is so, uh, he's, he's poetic, I suppose. The way that he talks about Jesus and he talks about Jesus and eternal life as kind of this one thing. It's like to touch Jesus is to touch eternal life. To lay eyes on on the risen Savior is to is to 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 look at to gaze upon eternal life, because for John, for the New Testament, for really all the authors, for us, I mean, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is that is the promise that death is defeated, as we learned last night. Death is defeated, and we have been given eternal life. As Isaac reminded us, the Ferraris in the garage. It's a promise. It's been given, given to you. And so John can write and he can say, what I looked on, what I touched with my hands, what you heard from the beginning. Of course, they knew the Old Testament. The Messiah, the promises of the Messiah. Verse 2, And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you eternal life. He's seen it, and he's bearing witness. Because eternal life is Jesus. They're one and the same which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we doubt just because we haven't seen God. We haven't seen Jesus. This is what faith is. It's believing in something that it's not, you know, it's not tangible. We're believing in something we haven't seen. But our faith is rooted and grounded in the testimony of the apostles that they did see. They did t- touch it. They did hear him speak. They saw him raised from the dead. Actually, First Peter says that we have something even better than seeing the risen Christ. We have his word, the revelation of God, which according to First Peter is actually more sure. Because your eyes can deceive you. You listen to witnesses who, you know, maybe saw a car accident and, you know, oh, I, I swear I saw him come out of the, you know, make a left turn. No, he didn't actually do that. No, I swear it. I saw it. It doesn't always work that way. We have something more sure. Combined with the indwelling spirit, we have the revelation of God's word in front of us. And so God has granted you eternal life. <clears throat> what are the implications 
of being granted eternal life. Chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, <clears throat> or what is an implication? Do not love the world nor the things of this in this world. If anyone loves the world and the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Um, we, we, have a, we have a direction that is different than this world. Right? We're, we're, looking, we're, we're, we're looking past this world and we're looking towards eternal life. So, h- how does this reality, you know, before we go to number two here, you know, how, does the, how does the reality of eternal life help you when you have a faith under threat? Or when your faith comes under threat, uh, threat when you have doubts? How does that help you? How might it help you? Any thoughts? Trusting in God. Trusting in God. Okay, so so next week, you know, when you're struggling, you know, to follow the Lord for whatever reason, you know, God has granted me eternal life. What is that going to do in your life? How will that strengthen you? How will that help you? Will it? It'll motivate you. Motivate you? Right? Is it is it a carrot? I don't know. That's out there that you're trying to strive for, just being reminded of it. You know, or is it that, that even that reality we have to remind ourselves again of what it is. You know, I guess to use the illustration that the Ferrari's in the garage, that we have been granted eternal life. We say it. We know it's true. Yet our eyes so quickly move from you know, the sky down to the ground and we see what's temporal and we lose sight of it. And so we always have to remind ourselves that we have been granted eternal life. Look at, number, or look at uh, verse 14. So the, the first Christian certainty for those with a faith under threat is that God has granted you eternal life. And the second one is this, God hears your prayers. And so John is going to talk about prayer in verse 14. He says, and this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. God hears your prayers. I think it's precisely because we have eternal life that God does hear our prayers. It's no small thing that we have access to the invisible, eternal, almighty God. We have access to the Creator God through prayer uh, because we believe and He has granted us eternal life. What does verse 14 say? What kind of requests can we bring to God? What does it say? What kind of requests? What is it? Right, it says, my, my translation says anything. But look at the verse 14 above that, right? This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will. So, what is anything? Anything. Anything. Do you guys ever make, I call them a model serial number prayers? 
You know, uh, it's like, Lord, this is what I want. <laughs> I don't know if you ever pray like that. Like tomorrow, <laughs> I want A to happen, B to happen, C to happen. I don't know if you ever pray that specific. It's kind of a model serial number kind of prayer. Uh, the Bible says we can ask anything. There, there's nothing that, that, that's outside of that. I mean, that is anything. Of course, there is a little bit of a qualification there, right? So ask anything what? According to His will. According to His will. And so we, we can ask anything, but yet we do have to move towards, you know, but yet your will be done. So what, what is the, the disciples' prayer there in Matthew 6? I think it's Matthew 6.10. What does it say? Uh, you know, the, the King James, I think we, we have in our mind, you know, thy kingdom come, what? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? Yeah. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. So, so it's kind of like, it's rooted in how Jesus taught us to pray, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we, we can ask anything, but we ask anything according to his will. According to his will. I don't know how you view prayer. Uh, you know, I don't know if in your mind prayer is kind of like wrestling God down. You know, you're, you're in this battle with God. You know, I want this. And so you're, you're kind of pleading with God to grant those requests. And so it's this fight between you and God. I don't know if you view prayer that way. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's what, what John has in mind or what the New Testament has in mind when it talks about uh, prayer. Second uh, <clears throat> Corinthians, it's towards the back of Second Corinthians. Paul gives us a little bit of insight into this uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 maybe you've heard about this thorn in the flesh that Paul had Um, you think about praying according to the will praying for anything according to his will Uh, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason to keep me from exalting myself there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me to keep me from exalting myself there's some struggle that Paul was was fighting against. He calls it a thorn in the fret, the thorn in the flesh. Verse eight, he says, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. Paul's asking anything. Get rid of this thorn in the flesh. I don't want this anymore. Right? What happens? And he said to me. God answers the prayer of Paul and says, "My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weaknesses so that in the power of Christ, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with hardships for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So you have this kind of illustration of, of Paul wanting something. Please, you know, deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. But, you know, whether it's persecution, some kind of outside force, I don't know, maybe something internal that was happening to him, maybe a, maybe a malady of some kind, whatever it was, take this away from me. He's pleading with God. God answers. What does he say again? My grace is sufficient for you, for you, for you, for powers perfected in weakness. When you're weak, you're strong. So I want you this way, Paul. And what does Paul do? He submits to that, he accepts that. And so I think from that one takeaway regarding prayer is that prayer isn't really so much about us changing God's mind. You know, God, I want this. I want A, B, and C for my life. 
you know, give me this, but it's really more about God changing us. And so we ask according to his will. And then as we do that, God, God molds and shapes our desires into his desires. And so we get to the point where we submit finally to the Lord and we understand and accept that his will is best. Now, if God was, uh, you know, if God changed his mind a lot, if God was mean, (laughs) if God wasn't good, then this wouldn't be a great confidence or this wouldn't, this wouldn't help me and my doubt and my struggles of my faith. But the fact that God is perfect, that God's will is perfect, that he's good, that he sent his son Jesus to die for my sins. He paid the penalty that I deserved. I'm happy to give that over to the Lord. I'm happy to, 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 to say, Lord, your will be done. Even if I don't understand in this moment, I know that what you want is best for me. And so, God, I want A, B, and C, but I recognize that I don't know what's best for me. And so, you let it, you let it, you know, your will be done, Lord. I mean, there's no greater illustration than Jesus in the garden. I think I was talking to some students about, you know, you remember the night before Jesus was crucified. Maybe you don't recall this, but, you know, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane there and he he prayed himself, you know, Lord, Father, take this cup from me. What what does he mean by that? Take this cup from me. To let him not suffer. Yeah, right. I know that I have to bear, I have to take your wrath. That the, the cup of wrath is going to be poured over me and I'm going to take it for the sins of all those who would believe in me. And so take this from me. But what does he say? Not my will. Right? Your will be done. And, and, and it was such a, a trial. Remember, if Jesus sins, it's over. We have no substitute. It's such a trial in that moment to, to, to find a way to accept the will of God that he sweats blood, that his body is so ravished and he's so uh, longing and, and it's so painful that you, it's almost like he's being turned inside out, but he struggles and he finds a way to accept the will of God. He's perfect. He's God in the flesh. And so in his humanity, he's able to say, not my will, your will be done. And he goes to the cross. I mean, you have this illustration from Paul. You have the illustration from Jesus of of praying for anything, but yet according to his will. So power is not about wrestling with God about our needs or our wants, but it's about accepting his will and his plans for our life. And I guess one, one final point here is just that from verse 15. And if, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Okay, which I take that to mean, it's a little, the translation is a little hard there. I, I take that to mean, here's, here's, here's what is a, is a certainty in your life, that God hears your requests. Again, it's rooted in who God is. It's not a promise that he's going to answer every one of your requests. It's that he hears you. And so whatever those false teachers are saying, whatever the world says about, you know, prayer is for naught, it's for nothing, it's no good. We have a great confidence that God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers.
So how does this certainty help you when you doubt your faith? How might this help you? You know that you can go to God at any time. Can you be honest with God about how you feel? Mm-hmm. He knows anyways. Right? <laughs> Thanks, He knows anyway. He says, ask anything. You know, I mean, there's, a, there's a story in the Bible, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's okay to say that sometimes. Um, you know, <clears throat> I've never done this and not felt that way. <laughs> like, Lord, help. <laughs> I feel inadequate. Uh, <clears throat> absolutely. God hears our prayers. There's a third thing here. So God has granted you eternal life. Uh, God has heard, God hears your prayers. And then verse 16 through 18, God has freed you from the bondage of sin. God has freed you from the bondage of sin. Now, there's a lot here in three little verses, 16 through 18. Uh, it says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. Uh, and then verse 18 is really getting at what our Christian certainty is. Verse 18, we know that no one has been born of God's sins, right? So God has freed you from the bondage of sin, which I'll explain in a minute. But he who, has, he who was begotten of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. There's, there's a lot in these uh, three verses. And so, uh, you know, one of the major questions here in this text is what in the world is a sin leading to death and sin not leading to death? You know, there's a, there's a lot written about this and there's a lot of debate about what exactly, uh, John is talking about in these, uh, verses. The first thing though, I, w- I want to just note is that notice it says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, okay. have you guys ever seen anybody commit a sin? <laughs> Right? You've committed a sin, but you've seen people commit sins. Now, when you see people commit sin, what do you do? What's your first response? Don't do it. Don't do it? Don't do that. Telling your siblings to stop, maybe. Okay, stop. Uh, Maybe you judge them. Uh, You know, uh, maybe you gossip. You know? Uh, but how often do we see our brother, sister committing a sin and then go to prayer? I don't know if you guys are like me, but I feel like that's like the last thing I do. If I see somebody sinning, you know, maybe I'm broken hearted, but that's not a prayer. Yeah, you know I mean, it's not necessarily wrong to be broken hearted, but I don't go to God and say, Lord, you know, help them. Yeah, I don't I don't do that. At least I don't do it right away. Maybe I gossip or maybe I think about, you know, I'm a guy, right? So it's like, how can I help them? I want to solve this problem. (laughs) It's a problem to solve. That's the first thing that comes to my mind when, you know, if my wife is sinning, I need to solve this. So what am I going to do? Well, I'll try to solve it without even praying. Foolish, foolish me. Uh, And so... You know, a couple things here. I don't think John is, is, is saying that we're supposed to be some kind of moral police. <laughs> you know, he's not saying go out and, and find your brother or sister who's sinning. You know, no, 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 he's not saying that. He's just saying if any, if you do see 
a person that's sinning, you should pray. Now, in saying that you should pray, he has these two kind of categories of people, right? You have, you have uh, people that are committing sins that lead to death, and then people that are committing sins that are not leading to death. And this is where there's a lot of confusion about what in the world John is talking about. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of like explain what I think he's talking about, and I'm going to spare you from all the different perspectives out there. Uh, <clears throat> I will say that it is a challenging passage to interpret. There's, there, there are, you know, I think this is the best answer, but, uh, I'm not going to die on this hill uh, right now, uh, in my own personal conviction. But I do think there's some evidence. And so I, I think there's a, a lot of explanatory power for my, uh, interpretation. And it's basically this, what John has been talking about throughout this letter is that God's spirit has so much, uh, uh, effect in your life that you are going to be changed as a Christian. And this even came out in Chris's message last night. You're going to be so changed that you're going to hate sin. And you're not going to live a life of habitual, persistent sin. You're not going to do that. You're not going to open-handedly sin against God and just have no repentance and have no guilt and have no concern about it. Just live totally open-handedly against God and say, I'm a Christian. That's not what the New Testament teaches about your faith. The illustration I always use with our, with our, our students is that if, if I was on the side of a road and I was, you know, there was a flat tire and an 18 wheeler, or if I had a flat tire, excuse me, and I'm out there changing the flat tire, right? I'm on the side of the road and there's an 18 wheel, wheeler barreling down the freeway and that 18 wheeler hit me while I was changing the tire. Would I, ha- would that 18 wheeler have any effect on my body? Probably, right? I would die and I'd be mutilated. Well, if the God of the universe who created everything abides in you and has is coming to your life, don't you think it's going to have some effect on your life? Of course it's going to have some effect. And so the New Testament teaches strongly that if, if you know Jesus, your life will change. And John is so strong on this that, that it almost feels like that's too strong. Like it almost feels like he's saying, if you're a Christian, you don't sin, which some have actually gone that far. And they've taught like a, a form of what they call perfectionism, that if you're a Christian, you're going to be perfect. Well, we know we, we will be perfect and we know we are perfect in a sense, but right now we're still in the flesh. And so we still war against sin. And so if you look at verses like, um, what is it? Chapter three, first John chapter three, uh, verse four, everyone who, who does sin also does lawlessness and is lawlessness. Uh, look at verse six, no one who abides in him. This is chapter three, verse six. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or has come to know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does righteous is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does sin is of the devil, because the devil sins from the beginning. The Son of God was manifested for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Wow, that's a really strong statement. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. By this, the children of God are the, and the children of the devil are manifested. Everyone who does not do righteousness is not of God as well as the one who does not love his brother. Again, very strong language about living for Jesus, the life of Christ. It's, it, again, it's almost like 
You see, you're saying, John, you're saying that I, that I'm not going to sin. And so what I think is, is coming out in this, which is hard to see, I think particularly, actually this legacy translation is probably the strongest I've ever read in that. It's really strong. Uh, it's stronger than the ESV or the, the NASB. Uh, the idea is that he won't persist in that or, or sin habitually. You understand what the word habitually means by habit? And that's what John is getting at, I believe, in that interpreta- in my interpretation. So he's not going to continue to habitually live in sin. But he's going to fight against sin. He's going to hate his sin. He's going to want to repent of his sin. And so back to chapter 5, when John's talking about a sin leading to death, sin not leading to death, what I believe, my interpretation, is that what he is saying there is that, and this is, this is, even, this is rough, right? He is saying that if there's a person out there that's claiming to, to be a Christian, and they're living in habitual sin, and they are just unrepentant, I believe what John is saying is that I'm not saying you should pray for that person. He's not commanding us not to pray for that person. He's just saying, I'm not saying you should pray for that person. What I'm saying is that you should pray for that person who is a believer and is repentant over their sin. He is committing a sin not leading to death. He's saved. He's a believer. He hates his sin. He's fighting against it. He is falling in line with what chapter 3 said. He's living for righteousness, but he's not living in habitual sin. And so that's, that's tough. That's a tough passage of Scripture. And so I believe in, in conjunction kind of what the, the verse above it that talks, talks about prayer according to his will, that there's a sense in which... If there's a person out there that, again, he says brother, so that's committing, that says they're a Christian and they're living in habitual sin, I think there's a, there's, there's a place where we can stand and we can say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust your will in that person's life. I'm going to pray for this person. <laughs> I'm going to pray for the person that's committing a sin, not leading to death. I'm going to pray for my brothers and sisters that are fighting against sin. They're not living in habitual sin. They love Jesus. Yes, they're sinning, just like me. But I'm going to pray for that person. This person over here that claims to be a believer and they're just living in habitual sin, God, I'm going to trust your judgment. And so I'm going to hand it over to you. I recognize that's a really hard teaching. Because what about my brother? What about my sister? What about my mom? What about my dad? They say they're a Christian, but they just live in rebellion. It seems to be no effect of, you know, no, the, 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 the 18 wheeler, you know, didn't make any effect on their life. They're not changed. So are you telling me, John, are you telling me, Lord, that, that I don't have to pray for them? That I should just hand them over to God's wrath? I, I don't know. But I think that that could be a possibility. There could be a time in your life where, uh, you know, a certainty in your life, a, a, a step of faith could be to actually hand that over to God. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I think that could be what John is saying here. And I, and I recognize it is a very difficult reality to actually hand over the judgment of someone to God. To say, I am no longer going to pray for this person and I'm going to trust that God knows what's best. Even His judgment. That's, that's, that's intense. That is intense.
If we want, if we want for God, if we want God's glory to expand throughout the universe, part of uh, part of you know living for God's glory, seeing God's glory, God's glory manifested, is to actually accept those aspects of His glory. That God is glorified when His wrath is poured out. That that is a that's a kind of a Puritan teaching, uh, but it's 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 hard. It's a hard, hard, hard reality. Uh, we want all those. We want people to come and, and know Jesus. We want to proclaim the truth of God's word. We want sinners to repent. At the same time, we know that God is glorified when His wrath is demonstrated. That's hard. You and I. This gets at verse 18. We know that no one who has been born of God sins, but uh, he who was begotten of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. This is really gets at number three here. God has freed you from the bondage, bondage of sin. And so as we move from this idea of praying, uh, as you think about your own life, God has freed you from the bondage of sin. So that, that, that is true in your life, that you don't live in habitual sin. And so now I want to make it personal for you, don't, you know, not abstract for other people anymore, but now for you and me. God has delivered us from that. And so now we hate our sin. That's a gift from God. When, you know, you think about assurance, you think about, well, you know, am I really a Christian? What do I believe? Do you hate your sin? Well, if you hate your sin, that's not natural. That's new. That's what the new man does. The new person, the believer does. You know, friends, I would tell you that if you can sin and have no guilt or you don't feel anything bad about it, I think you should be in fear. I think you should question your faith. I think you should ask, what do I believe? But I trust God's work in your life. His spirit abides in you. And so now when you do sin, you do feel guilt over it. You do feel bad about it. You don't want to sin. You feel guilty that you don't read your Bible because you know that the truth is found in your Bible. And so that's Christian discipline. You fight against that. You war against that. You, you, you're coming out to church. You're doing all those things because you know that it's right for you to do those things, but you still struggle to do them. If you didn't know Christ, you wouldn't feel that way. You know, uh, I don't know, you know, I know in my life, I wasn't a Christian until I was 24, 25. Uh, I'm not sure where you guys are at in your faith or when you came to know Jesus, if, if, you, if you do know him. But I know before I was saved, I, wouldn't, I didn't care about any of this stuff. It didn't matter to me. I, I didn't feel guilt about my sin. I just embraced it. And then it was having come, you know, once I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ that it's like, oh, I shouldn't do those things. It began to, to purify me and to wash away those things. Um, and so I was changed. I, I'm not sure what it, what it feels like to, to, to be kind of a Christian as a kid and then like always believe. I'm not sure what that, what that feels like experientially. I can't relate to that. But I believe the same things are true in your life. I believe that you know that. That you feel the, those things and you want to change. You want to live for, for God. And so you hate sin, you're, you're guilty, you're repentant, you're seeking to amend those things. And John deals with that in a very memorable verse that we've, most of us have memorized. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And what does it say also? It says here, but he who was begotten by God keeps him. Who is the one that was begotten by God in that verse? Who was begotten by God? The legacy uses a capital H there. I don't know what the other translations do. But he, capital H, he who was begotten of God keeps him. Jesus keeps him. We know that no one has ever been born. We know that no one has been born of God's sins, uh, but he who is begotten of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Do you guys know this verse from First John four four? Uh, maybe you've heard this one: "You are from God, little children. You have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world." Uh, I'm not sure what you think about Satan and. Uh, you know, Satan's power over the Christian. I think that's, that's another kind of difficult topic to think about. You know, uh, I hear people talk about like Satan kind of like putting thoughts in your head. Do you guys think Satan can do that? (laughs) You think so? Like Satan can actually like, you know, I don't know, infiltrate your mind and give you ideas. Uh, I know that that that's, it's popular to believe that. I'm not sure the Bible actually teaches that, though. Uh, I don't think that Satan has the power to actually infiltrate my mind. First of all, Satan can only be at one place at one time, right? Satan is a fallen angel, so you know, I don't know where he is right now. Uh, but, you know, I don't see any evidence from the New Testament that he can actually infiltrate my mind. However, I'm in a sin- I have a sinful nature, and I'm in the flesh, and so there's passions that are inside of me. Right, that come that that affect my mind. Uh, the Puritans talked about the newetic effects of sin. So, like our thinking is sinful. You know, you think about logic and reason. You know, the Enlightenment period, and we think about oh, we can kind of figure out how why the world uh, you know exists, and we can answer all the questions of uh, of this world from you know science and you know species of animals and all this stuff. But the problem is, is that our thinking is actually affected by sin. It's stained by sin. So even that is problematic to think that through naturalism, through thinking in our minds, we can just figure everything out. We can't because sin it actually affects our thinking. And so I don't believe Satan can affect our minds. I'm not sure about an unbeliever, but I know certainly as a believer, he cannot affect your mind. God's spirit is indwelling inside of you. So God has no, or Satan has no authority over your mind. Now the world, he's affecting the world. And we know that the world has been handed over to him. And so uh, advertisers, you know, wrong teaching, you know, uh, lusts that we see, desires that we want. We want that red Ferrari. We're willing to maybe lie, cheat and steal to get it. You know, that's not necessarily Satan. That's just the powers of the world that are at work that affect our thinking. And so we might be influenced by those things. Uh, However, we have this great confidence. Chapter 5. Again, that he who has been born of God, begotten of God, keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Satan can't touch you. I don't know what they were teaching to these, I don't know what these false teachers were teaching, but uh, he cannot touch you. So uh, let me quickly get through these next four here. Uh, God, number four, God has marked you as his own. Verse 19, God has marked you as his own. Uh, we know that we are of God. John says, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, as we have just uh, said. 
So in a world marked by sin and death, uh, what is our greatest hope? This is one of them, certainly. That we're His own. That we are His. Uh, The whole world lies, it's, it's destiny... You know, uh, it lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, It's destined for destruction. But we are not because we are marked by him. Maybe you're familiar with the teaching from the book of Ephesians. Um, Paul writes these just amazing words in Ephesians chapter 1. You know, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. We are His. He chose us before the foundations of the world. Before God laid the foundations, before He created this world. He knew you. He marked you out. He had a plan for His Son to die for your sins. chose us in him before the foundation of the world, but uh, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Again, that we'd be free from the bondage of sin, that we wouldn't live in sin. We'd be delivered from it by predestining us um, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, that we'd be adopted into his family according to his good pleasure, according to the good pleasure of his will. God has marked us, marked you as his own. So whatever doubts might come in, whatever uncertainties lie ahead in your life, you can know God has granted you eternal life. He's, he hears your prayers. He's freed you from the bondage of sin and he's marked you as his own. Number five here, uh, finally in verse 20, uh, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us what? Understanding. Understanding. He's given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. God has given you understanding. I know you doubt. I know you have uh, struggles about what the Bible says. You're still learning. But God has given us great understanding. And part of that is because we have the abiding Holy Spirit. We have God's Spirit inside of us. So, uh, John actually goes really far here, and he actually says that you don't even need somebody to teach you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. Listen to this. This is a, a radical teaching. And as for you, the anointing whom you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as he has taught you, abide in him. God has given you the kind of understanding that John even goes so far as to say, with God's spirit inside you, yes, we have to preach and teach and be a part of the church. But the reality is, is that if you have his word, that's enough. You don't necessarily need me. I mean, can I help? Can your pastors help? Can commentaries help? Can Christian literature help? Can music help? Uh, Absolutely. But God's Spirit is inside of you, giving you understanding and helping you in your faith. So, seek His will, pray, and He will uh, reveal Himself more and more to you. Um, Understanding is a thinking word. Uh, To know is a thinking word. Uh, 
we, we have to remember, and I know that, you, you know, especially around Grace Bible Church, and I think our church as well, um, we recognize that um, one of the, the premier places that we worship God and we grow in our faith is by expanding our mind. Right? We fill our mind with God's truth. The more we expand our knowledge of God, the more that uh, allows us to understand God more full and then we can praise Him more fully. So that's why we... That's why we learn. That's why we read books. That's why we listen to preaching. Because it grows our understanding and it grows our ability to worship and praise our God. So we need to love God with our minds. uh, For sure. So here we have five Christian certainties for those with a faith under threat. God has granted you eternal life. God hears your prayers. God has freed you from the bondage of sin. God has marked you as his own. And God has given you understanding. So uh, I'll, I'll pray and close us, but uh, before I do, uh, any thoughts, any, anything that, uh, any, any central truth or anything that uh, you guys would, would like to share or comment on before I pray? I really loved how you were kind of talking about And we can even pray that God would do that in our life. It's like, oh, I, I struggle with that. It's like, God, help me to be content with your will. You know, uh, help me to be like Paul or like Jesus in those ways. That's good. Yeah. <clears throat> well, thank you. I know this is tough. Uh, thank you for, for staying with me and focusing. Appreciate you guys. Uh, let me go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. I, I pray that um, I pray that there might be something here, Lord, that these students and leaders, Lord, would walk away with, and that it would help them, Lord, uh, in their faith. Uh, I pray, Lord, that it would grow certainty in them. Uh, we want uh, we want to have confidence before you. Uh, we want to trust your will and your ways in the world, Lord. Uh, we want to grasp tightly to what you have revealed to us in your word. And yet we're frail and uh, broken at times and longing uh, for other things. Uh, We go astray. As the Proverbs say, sometimes like a a dog returns to its vomit, uh, that becomes uh, our actions sometimes, Lord. And so uh, I desperately seek your will, Lord, in the lives of these students and these leaders, Lord, that uh, they would continue to to fight the fight of faith and they would grab onto these certainties, Lord, of eternal life and the confidence that you hear our prayers, uh, the the freedom from the, the power and bondage of sin, Lord, the fact that we are yours, that we are adopted into your family, that you predestined us and chose us, Lord, and that you have given us understanding, that we would know these things, Lord, that they would be embedded into our DNA. And so when when trouble comes, because trouble will come, uh, it's a promise uh, that Uh, our ship will be anchored uh, to that truth, Lord, to these truths, and we will not be tossed and driven by every wind of doctrine or uh, wind of desire in this world, Lord. Uh, Be with each of us. Give us strength for the rest of this day, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that your will would be done. 
Uh, and we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.